Y'all, I, I was uh, needed to remind y'all that eventually I will get to opening the Bible and preaching from the Bible, but Alberto has asked me to just share a little background. Um, you know, about seven years ago or so, we were five or six years into this church, and I had been traveling around in various disconnected evangelistic endeavors around North America and Latin America. I really felt like God calling me to stay home with my young family and to focus on family and the church here. And in that season, he gave us a real strengthening of elders that's really just really made the last season of leading this church just so delightful and peaceful and protected. And right in, right in there, we, we identified, with the help of uh, Morgan from Pastor, or Pastor Morgan from Mosaic, we identified Alberto as a young leader that we needed to, to send to the assessment center, our Every Nation uh, Church leader, Leadership Center, to see like, what are the things that, that Alberto can grow in if he's going to lead a church. And so we started a plan where two years ago, we started to enact that plan, and the pandemic hits, And our eldership realized, you know, maybe this is actually the perfect time to carry through this plan. And so we we did that. I remember talking to a friend uh, as we were kind of enacting the plan two years ago, a, a friend of the church, and he heard that we're passing off the leadership to Alberto. And his initial reaction was what a lot of us think and what we're conditioned, unfortunately, to think. He said, he said, You're you're passing the church off. What happened? Right? What happened? Because for him, there was no paradigm of uh, a church being passed off that was healthy. Usually it's like a problem or a scandal or something like that. And I said, look, what happened is somehow, against all of my disposition, we were patient enough to follow through on the process that our oversight in every nation gave us. And now the time has arrived. And I just want to say, it, it was such a beautiful season of joy and love and honor for, for y'all as we stepped down from leading this church and our family got so much love and honor. And as we stepped into what I'm doing now, and now... I serve full-time in evangelism. Uh, I, I literally have never felt more alive in, in ministry, in what I'm doing in ministry. I go around our Every Nation movement, around North America and Latin America, and I help to, to strengthen our collective witness in, in, you know, from, from the church and the campus ministries we already have, and then helping us to kind of press out and, and plant more. I love seeing the Holy Spirit time and time again demonstrate to people that the false burden of what we think we should go do for God is not what he's calling us to do, but there's an adventure that we get to live out together. Matthew 1. Y'all have been going through this book for a while. Matthew's account. Uh, I've been in Every Nation Seminary, which is a global cohort. We have people from all over the world, all six continents. It's amazing the perspective you can get when you go to the same Bible with people from all over the world. We've been studying Matthew 1 a lot. If, if you were to take Matthew, the whole book, and, and, and just sum it up into one word, it might be the word fulfill. Because Matthew demonstrates how Jesus fulfills the whole meaning of life, and specifically the Old Testament prophecies, the Jewish writings, that what they say about the Messiah, about Jesus. Fulfill. So the very first promise that, that Jesus fulfills, Matthew 1, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. 
And Jesus demonstrates that throughout the whole ministry career, his three years. And then he dies for our sin, raises again from the dead, tells us, go tell everyone about this. You know, risk in all the world to make disciples of every nation. But in Matthew 28, there's some words that come after that challenge to go. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. Mic drop. And he just gets on out of there. Jesus does not call us to do things for him. He invites us to do things with him. So when we're praying about our neighbors to invite to Easter services, Jesus is not putting the burden on you to go, go do something. We're not trying to get people saved. We are enjoying our savior vocally and watching him continue to be the savior as he saves people. We just get to enjoy being with him as he's with us. Let me share one story about this real quick and I'll get into the rest of uh, my words. I was in Chicago the weekend before last and uh, I love seeing, especially in Chicago, our Every Nation Church in Chicago has suffered through the pandemic through some of the worst restrictions bureaucratically that you can imagine. And uh, they're finally being able to kind of come back together and see the life of the church kind of revitalized. And I love seeing just the energy, the, the, the power, the passion that, that people of God have together as they're seeing like, look, we can do this. The next day on Monday, last Monday, we went to the campus and uh, we saw so many cool things. It was super freezing, so we only talked to like 20 students. But 12 of those people showed up to our very first Every Nation campus meeting that night at Loyola University. One of those young people, Alex, gave his life to Jesus right there on the spot. He saw the diversity of all the students in that room, and he basically moved his schedule around the next day and went to Northwestern University with us for 12 hours. It was so cool to see a young kid being like, look, Jesus died for your sin. You need to receive this. I got saved yesterday. He came to our Every Nation Church in Chicago last Sunday as a first-time visitor, and he went up to the pastor and he said, will you baptize me today? And I got the video of Alex and his baptism. And listen, I love when we can play offense together and going into the world and just stunning the devil with the love of Jesus in the community. And even when we're still weak and we're still struggling, Jesus is still the Savior. Amen? Y'all, as far as getting, I'm getting close to opening the Bible. It's real close. But I want to say a few more things. I, I do get to travel around and visit a lot of churches to preach in these last few years. But this is the first time coming, coming home to preach. My wife and I, when we planted ourselves in San Marcos 16 years ago, we never could have imagined the, the beauty of this unique church that we would soon after get to, get to lead, uh, a church born of diverse and tenacious evangelistic grace on the campus, uh, a church with an unusual harvest of leadership that we saw raising up, even as he was raising our family from infertility to Jesus' opinion about fertility, to just seeing you know, the church and the family in our, in our life spring up together. Uh, and seeing this, this harvest of leaders that most of which would be raised up and sent out to plant, out, plant other churches and campus ministries around the nation. But the best leader would stay. Jessica Betts. 
Jessica, that's a brilliant leader and preacher. And Alberto also does the very best he can. Listen, Alberto is a tremendous son of favor. And honestly, Alberto, watching you, honestly getting to enjoy that last year where I mostly just watched you lead, watching you lead and come into your own has been one of the great joys of my life. And I exaggerate a lot of things, but not this. If you, church, if you follow these people, Thaddeus and Jessica and Alberto, if you follow them, as they follow Christ, I believe you are what the Bible would say is wise. Now, if you're here and you're just checking the church out, that's okay. But I invite you to check in, to get planted here, to decide today to invest your time, your talent, your treasure. That's a euphemism for money. To invest here and watch what God does in and through your life. Our church in Houston says, you know, participation is better than observation. Let's do this together. Let's walk together. And we're continuing our Follow Me series. And Alberto talked last week about the visible expression of following Jesus, that sometimes we can encounter persecution. Look, sometimes our, our following Jesus together is what invites the persecution. But if Paul and Silas can have joy even while they're shackled up in a Philippian jail, then we can have joy together in following Jesus, even amidst all sorts of beautiful danger that he has for us in the nations. Amen. And as we follow him together, we're not just attending church as individuals alongside each other. We are the church that follows him in the community and in his kingship being spread around the universe. And as we do, devils tremble and shackles fall all all around us as well. And today, Palm Sunday, as you open your Bibles, if you need a Bible, we can get you one if you just raise your hand. If you open your Bibles... To Matthew 21, we're going to soberly consider what it means to follow Jesus, even in his triumphal procession to Jerusalem's cross. And as you're turning to Matthew 21, I just want you to to be cautioned that the most pervasive way to reject following Jesus is to celebrate him for someone lesser than he really is. So Lord, help us. Can you stand to your feet to honor the reading of scripture? Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send you at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, the daughter of Zion, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, the foal on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he, Jesus, sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road in front. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole crowd, the whole city, 
was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, give us the wisdom today to, to consider how to rightly celebrate you in your true triumph in history and how you bring that true victory to bear on our lives today. And Lord, forbid that we would wrongly celebrate any sort of false triumph that you did not come here to win. So even today as we read your word, God, would you allow supernaturally, Holy Spirit, your word to read us and to retool us, to follow you together with a greater freedom and joy and adventure than ever before. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, I've entitled this message, The Exalted King. You know, just after his arrival to Jerusalem, a few chapters later, Jesus, he says this, he says, he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I think here in chapter 21, I think Matthew plays out this reality in how the crowds respond. You have this crowd that's already exalting their own idea. They're self-exalted. They're exalting their own idea of how they think the Messiah will, will save. And that idea will be soon humbled. And yet here, Jesus is coming to call forth a humble people that will be able to behold and later resemble the truly greater heavenly king. So I have one big idea that's going to direct the words as I preach from uh, the, through Matthew 21, the second part of our, chat, our verse, our passage, and then the first part. And that idea is this. The exalted seek a lesser king, but the humble seek an exalted king. So I'll first examine in Matthew 21, this stirred up in this hype crowd that's ready to receive this worldly king. And even today, y'all, if you're looking for God to help you fundamentally in a worldly way, you just might be seeking a lesser king than Jesus came to be. He didn't come to liberate a nation. He came to save the world. And that was unexpected to them at the time. So let's, let's bravely consider this self-exalted crowd that sought a lesser king. Verses 8 through 10. 8 and 9. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna simply means salvation. They were lifting up their very saving I have to admit that this is hard to visualize. Jesus simultaneously coming into the city, riding kind of two different animals, you know, in his procession somehow. We're going to cover the, the donkey in deeper detail in my next point. But Matthew seems to indicate, at least to me, that both animals are used here. And it's hard to see how that could physically happen. But I think it's meant to be a contrast between two different types of kingship that are resembled in Jesus. These, 
this mighty warrior king would ride in on a colt or a, a horse, but only a humble and lowly man would ride in on a donkey. As Pastor Morgan Stevens, my, my pastor in Austin, says, Jesus is both at the same time. We're supposed to embrace the strange tension of the two types of kingship that are resembled by him coming in on a colt and a donkey. Now, if we were to consider that, what would it say about this crowd there that day that seemed to functionally disregard the meaning of the donkey part of Jesus' kingship in favor of what Jesus riding in on a mighty war horse would represent? I think it would indicate that the crowd was expecting an earthly conqueror, but not a heavenly savior. And we need to be careful because we, like them, will naturally file away the data that, that of the things that Jesus does in his kingship that don't really align with our expectations of how we think he's supposed to lead us into our triumphs that we're after. Let me give you a little background behind this whole scene of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on these animals. In the centuries before Jesus' arrival, the, the Israelites were conquered by the Seleucid Empire, which was sort of a, a post-Grecian, pre-Roman force that brutalized God's people. In fact, to demoralize the Jews, a few hundred years before Jesus came into the town, they once brought a pig into the Jewish temple and sacrificed it on God's altar. Just the ultimate abomination. And so this served to really embolden a, a violent resistance from the Jews. And they chased away the Seleucids and even fought them back into retreat from Jerusalem. And so in 167 BC, the leader of this uprising, Judas Maccabeus, the victorious liberating conqueror, maybe the Messiah, I don't know, right? He rides back triumphantly into Jerusalem. What was he riding? A horse. And what did this crowd in Jerusalem do when he was coming back in? They shouted, Hosanna! Salvation! And they cut branches and they put them on the ground. See, in their mind, this was God fulfilling the promise through what other way would there be? It's military victory. Unfortunately, this so-called Maccabean liberation would only last a few years, and the Seleucids would come back in and just crush the Jews a few years later. Now, fast forward a few centuries, and here you have Jesus proceeding into the city on a colt and a donkey, and they only seem to have seen the colt. I can imagine the dudes in the crowd sporting their red mega hats, you know, the make Israel great again, right? Saying, man, the Seleucids crushed us, right? Too soon? Too soon, maybe. The Seleucids crushed us, but this dude raises the dead so he can just bring fire to Rome, right? And make no mistake, Jesus will come back. And I don't think there's a, I don't see a donkey in the prophecies of his second return, right? It's just a horse. And there's also swords coming out of his mouth. This is real stuff. Revelation 19, go look it up for yourself. But Jesus' first coming, was not in the line of the Maccabees. He came to fulfill a greater promise for a greater and more eternal purpose. And they missed it. And y'all, I caution us 
we are not that different from this crowd. Too often we don't think we need this exalted savior that pays an infinitely high price because we don't see our sin for the bloody death that it is. I mean, it's easy to see the evil in Putin. It's harder to see the Putin in me, right? And sometimes we're already so exalted in the way we already live life that we don't think we need a savior. We think we need somewhat of like an influencer that just promotes what we already have going on. And maybe we'll click follow, but actually following, that's different. We tend to look for leaders that, uh, that already prop us up with what we're already doing and, and, and who will remove whatever perceived barriers we think get in the way of us just being a little bit more awesome, right? And so we argue about our Trumps and our Bidens because these are the kings, we think, that will just bring a greater shine to our awesomeness. But Jesus is a different kind of king. He didn't come to improve your life. He came to transform it from death to life by dying the bloody death that our sins deserve. That's a little more sobering. It's a lot more exalted, but I need totally different eyes to see it. And by the way, Jesus doesn't just want your cloak. He wants your whole heart, nothing less. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He paid for the rights to be your life. He didn't come to receive our applause and our acclamation. He came to purchase our lives by the high price of his own, which is a pretty high price to say the least. And therefore it is possible for us to shout Hosanna, salvation, and totally categorically miss the kind of saving that Jesus came to do in our lives, in our marriages, in our careers, in our uh, life procession. A few weekends ago, I was at my son's soccer game and I was sitting around other parents uh, that were parents of the kids on his team. So we were cheering on our team, but I was a little distracted too because I had the uh, Longhorn baseball game in my AirPod, right? Hook them, right? So I'm, I'm zoned out of the game in front of me. I thought I was multitasking, but that's a myth, right? So I'm like listening to the game and I see the, a ball go into the net in front of me. And I stood up, I'm like, yeah! And it was super awkward because no one around me was standing. I cheered for the wrong team's goal. Low-key embarrassing because I've done so much worse. But y'all, how, how easy is it for us today to celebrate the wrong triumph? To cheer on the colt but totally miss the donkey? To glorify God for his goodness and the good things that we perceive, but to not glorify him for his salvation in the hard things and maybe even grow bitter with the very God who is saving and growing us in the midst of it all. See, we have reasons to trust God. It's not just blind faith. We have reasons to trust God even when we don't understand. And in your suffering... You may not know why, but you can know the one who knows. And you can trust and obey him that he's in control, even when you don't feel like you have any control. That's okay. We can have an earth-shattering joy. See, the wrong perspective of this crowd caused them to totally miss real power. And we still tend to do that, right? With our temporary anxieties in the world. 
And their wrong view is epitomized by the last few verses. Verse 10, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Everyone say stirred up. They were saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, of Galilee. Now this crowd was stirred up, but not surrendered. And we too too easily can be stirred up. We can be moved maybe in worship music and yet still refuse to give him control in our lives, and we remain functionally isolated in relationship to him and other people who we're supposed to forgive and walk in community and interdependence with. This very same crowd this Sunday who shouted, Hosanna, five days later, the same king was before them, and they shouted in their their stirred up emotional state, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. They missed it. But let's not, let's not have any sort of ambiguous mystery for how they missed it. Let's slow down and read this last verse. Verse 11, the crowd said, who is this? And the crowds said, by the way, anytime that the crowds have to define what life and what a person is, that's not good, Right? The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus. Now, is Jesus a prophet? Well, yes, he's a prophet, but he is so much more than a prophet. Sorry for people online. I'm coming down here to, 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 to illustrate this. This crowd almost saw Jesus for who he is. And almost is a problem to, de- to the degree that the person is weighty and glorious. So if you almost see Jesus, you know, Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet, but they don't believe that he's an exalted savior that can save me from my worst enemy, which is me. And if we almost see the person and the path of the savior, but we miss him, it is, it is a problem to, degree that, to the degree that he is glorious. Let me illustrate this. Alberto, let's say uh, we're walking in public and you're just walking along here and I almost see the person in the path and I just bump them a little bit, right? Well, that moment in public, it'd be like, oh, sorry, dude, right? And it's low-key awkward. And it's not, in, thank you, th- thank you very much. It's not any more awkward than that because Alberto's just a regular-sized man with an irregular anointing and power, hallelujah. But what if, what if I bump into someone or something bigger? What if I almost perceive the path of a moving train? That's not awkward. It's fatal. You know what's infinitely more weighty and glorious than a moving train? Jesus Christ, the majestic, the beautiful, the terrifying and holy, the exalted one. He's a prophet, but he's so much more than a prophet. The exalted seek a lesser king, but the humble seek an exalted king. So let's go to the start of our Matthew 21 chapter. My second point, it's a little shorter. In this account, who are the humble that would seek this exalted king? Well, I only see one. Can you guess? That's right, the donkey. The donkey is the only one I see. See, pretty much the whole crowd was exalting their own wrong idea of how the Savior saves, and thus a few of the people in the crowd would first have to be humbled before they could see 
Jesus for who he is and follow him where he actually leads. But isn't that true in your life? It isn't mine. I, I remember uh, laying in bed. Raquel, is it lying in bed? Well, I was in bed. I was in bed uh, uh, right before high school. And I was terrified laying there in the, lying in the dark. I was terrified by the thought that I was a slave to certain besetting sins that I couldn't stop. I was terrified by this thought. I knew like, even before I had been, like, been around Bible people and Bible language, I knew that I was a slave to sin and I didn't know what to do with it. And I felt totally out of control and I was, uh, it, was, it was haunting to me. Three weeks later, I went to a campus ministry meeting and I heard the gospel preached and the, the word of God opened up the declaration that Jesus saves sinners. And I didn't need any convincing that I was one of those people that I needed, that needed to be saved. And I received that message and I've never been the same. But listen, for me to hear, to have years to hear that, I first had to be broken down and humbled by God. So let's consider what this exalted king comes to do in our lives and pray that God gives us humility. He gives us donkey vision to, to really see him. Start of the, the verse, very first verse, verse one of chapter 21 of Matthew. Jesus says to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Untie it and bring it, bring them with in a colt, bring them to me. King James, instead of untie, untie them, he says, loose them, loose them. And so I ask, what can you loose or let go of and untie and bring to Jesus? By all means, bring him the good things. Bring him your strengths. Bring him your proverbial proverbial colts, right? But if God can use a donkey, he can also use your weakness if you let go and bring it to Jesus. That thing that you maybe are holding on to in shame, that less presentable part or, or aspect of your struggle that you otherwise want to hide and fix for yourself. Look, it's not working. Bring it to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to come to the people who are, who've done a good job to fix themselves and prepare themselves. Jesus comes to us in our darkness and his light's enough for that. Verse three, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. Say to your neighbor, the Lord wants your donkey. The Lord needs them and he will say to them at once, this took, and he will, they will send, he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, verse five, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. But, but stop there real quick. Pause. How is he coming? Because if we miss how the king comes, we miss the king. Your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, why did the crowd seem to disregard this aspect of Jesus' procession? Miss the significance of the donkey, or for that matter, the significance of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and all the parts of of the promises of God that were clearly there, but were kind of subordinated in our attention and our expectation. Well, why do I do the same thing? 
I remember 20 years ago, like my first experience in like a church that wasn't super honky. And I remember the energy and like, like, I'm sorry, first church that was more energetic, sorry, uh, more energetic. And like, I remember this, the, the super uh, hyped up songs. This one song I sang 20 years ago, uh, all God's promises won't let go of me. What was that? Who was that? Israel? I don't know who it was, but I remember singing it back and forth. And let me assure you, I was not thinking about promises like, in this life, you will have trouble. I was not singing about that promise. And this crowd wasn't seeing that promise. What if God fails to meet your expectations without failing to fulfill his promise in your life? This procession into the city on a donkey was fulfilling a much deeper purpose than military conquest. This was the very ushering in of humanity's healing. Theologian D.A. Carson says this, in the midst of this excited crowd, an unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the one who calmed the sea. This animal knows and loves his true master for what he is. This is the foreshadowing of the healing of all nature under the future kingship of Christ. See, Jesus came that day to gain an exaltation in an unusual way, and it would first require him to be broken. He came to bring healing in the most strange way, unexpected by taking upon himself the very disease of our sin and lowering himself, not just to the point of donkey rider, but far lower allowing the bloody consequences of our sin to overtake him and kill him for our sake. And that week he would wear a crown, a crown of thorns that would rip through his scalp and he would be put on a cross obediently to pay the ransom for our sin. Second Corinthians five, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died for us and he rose again from the dead to show his power to confer his very life to us. See, when other conquerors, for them to be raised up, they have to kill. But Jesus is historically singular in that he willingly was raised up on a cross. He died for us and he rose from the dead to show his power to kill both sin and death and to give us his new life. And what if for you to see this, God is willing for circumstances in life to break you a little bit so that you can share in the greatest and unconquerable joy of knowing God and sharing in his life. See, to receive resurrection life before resurrection comes death. There's some things that have to die in us as we grow in his life. Last verse I'm going to share, Matthew 16. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Now this may feel like an individual challenge or call out to us, but we need to take heart because Jesus' invitation is meant to be experienced and we follow him along other humble donkeys around us. Remember the, the crowds 
shouted their lofty acclamations as he came into the city. But when Jesus came back from the dead, he didn't come to the crowds. He came to small groups of people that were gathered in prayers of desperation and dependence on God. And that's the difference between crowds and small groups. Uh, when you, you're not left to kind of try to you know, harness the energy of the crowd. When we go to small groups, we're invited to surrender our weakness through the gift of confession. And so when I'm in a small group and I'm lifting up the beauty of Jesus, uh, in other words, we're reading scripture together, right? And we're talking through it and praying through it. And then when I confess my struggle, which is usually in a prayer, right? In that very moment with my friends, something beautiful and majestic happens. In that moment of confession, my struggle is no longer mine, but it's ours. And then we get to take in the life of Jesus together. We don't just invite you to small groups so that you can make your schedule a little bit more churchy. It's so that we can surrender, functionally surrender our anxieties and and grow in the resurrection life of the exalted king. The exalted seek a lesser king, but the humble seek an exalted king. And as we approach the table today, Jesus invites you to humble yourself and to confess your weakness and to receive him for who he is. And this might even be the very first time where you breathe out confession of sin and by faith take in the very nature and person by faith of King Jesus. Let me pray for you as Alberto and the team come up. Holy Spirit, help us to count the costs, to know what it really means to follow you and what we need to, to loose in order to experience you fully, Jesus. Amen.